anybody that is first a first-time fundraiser, there is no golden goose. There is no perfect formula for going about this. Everyone's an N of one, at least in my experience, and I'm then yeah. going to speak for my own bias, but every experience is different. And so there are our best practices, launches scorecard system for sourcing investors, a really good way to get on the phone with 130 different people. But the way to go about doing this, there is no right way. And it's going to unfold the way that it's meant to unfold. It's going to be it's going to be a winding road. Then once you're on the tracks, if venture backed is the way that the business should be going, if that's right for your business, then various four factors start to take over a little bit more. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. Mev. Tired of the dev shop roller coaster? Mev is your reliable technical partner offering a well-established software development process designed to consistently deliver unparalleled value to their clients. Get $30,000 off your first three months at mev.com slash twist. And the paintbrush loan is the earliest startup financing on the internet. No pitch deck, no business plan, and no warm intros. Plus, you get to keep your equity. Visit getpaintbrush.com to see if you qualify for a $50,000 startup loan in less than two minutes. All right, everybody, welcome back. You guys know I like to have my portfolio founders here on the program from time to time. And I'm really excited to have our next guest on the program because he got an amazing response to his startup when he was in our accelerator. That accelerator is called the Launch Accelerator. I'm joined by Jake Gutstein. He is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Zest, which is an app that helps people learn how to cook. You can think of it like Duolingo uh, for cooking. And I thought, what a clever idea. I wonder if that's going to get any traction. And it has gotten traction and people love this app. And again, um, Jake went through our Accelerator's 29th cohort. Jake, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Jason. So uh, tell everybody a little bit about, and, and you came to the Accelerator. Were you at Founder University before that, our pre-Accelerator? Or did I, I you did come directly to the Accelerator? We yeah, okay. applied directly into the Accelerator. Great. Um, so tell everybody about how you came up with this idea and then uh, how it's been going and, and what the app helps people do. Yeah, well, I studied engineering as an undergrad, but I found my passion in entrepreneurship. I started multiple companies as an undergrad. I ultimately sold one by the end of my senior year, um, but graduating school didn't have anything to go into. So was in management consulting, was working the hours that it entailed. Um, and the problem, I guess, found me, I had the fire department called on me for just like eviscerating a DiGiorno pizza in my oven. Oh, great. Which to me was like a, almost a call for agency. <laughs> I, or I lacked the agency to really fix that problem. Um, so the way I went about doing that is I got on the phone with one of my close friends from undergrad. He ultimately became my co-founder and was an accomplished comedian and performer. So, you know, not the worst person to be on the phone with for a long time. He was also the best home cook I knew. And he started mm. coaching me through how to get better at, at cooking. Um, and in the process, I realized he was ahead on the curve for me, but he was experiencing the exact same pain points. So those bells started to go off. Um, I asked him if he'd be interested in founding a company. And what are those pain points? What is the pain point that you don't know how to cook? Well, yeah, but what, what we realized is that 
generally people go about learning how to cook in really one of two ways. Younger people, you cook from, in, you learn from influencers online, your Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, or you um, will cook from online publications or blogs. So New York Times cooking, Bon Appetit. And ideally those give you a streamlined and affordable and accessible and easy way to learn how to cook yourself. Um, but what we found was with influencer content, it's highly entertaining, but it's not educational. People watch hundreds of hours of this content. They step into their kitchen. They can't apply anything. And then when it comes to cooking from online publications, these blogs, every recipe is like reading a chapter in a textbook. Every different recipe, it's like a different chapter in a different textbook. Very difficult to inventory your knowledge. Very difficult to know what you want to learn next and how to get there. And so, so TikTok's too short, not right. dense enough. And they lack detail. I've seen that watching a short on Twitter. They're just like, here's my perfect recipe. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> and here's something beautiful. And you're like, wait a second. And then online, I had the same experience you have, which is I, I just want to, you know, sear some salmon here. And I'm reading War and Peace. It's uh, why are there a thousand words in here it's on like, the history <laughs> of salmon? And, and I, I, I just want to cook the damn salmon. Story. What's right. that? Why, why do I need your great aunt's life story to get to this salmon? I, exactly. Exactly. Let me, yeah. let me cook the salmon. Yeah. Uh, and so you then decide you want to try to build a better mousetrap, as it were, a better solution. And then you decide what? Did you do multiple tests? Did you think about doing YouTube videos, something in between the two? <laughs> How did you <laughs> yeah, come up yeah. with a format or a product? Because that's you have the problem set. You have an observation about what is available in the market and what's frustrating about it. But now as a founder, you got to conceive of a product. So take us through that product creation story and, and process. Right. So we were working full time, but we kind of have a screw loose. And so what we were doing in our, our free time was basically creating a Google form mm -hmm. um, that we would send out to people. And if they wanted to use it, they would pay us. And then we would create a custom meal plan that would essentially allow you to achieve your goals. And we did that in Google Slides. <laughs> mm. So like we would send you your, your meals that way. And then we would send you a grocery list over text. Got it. So you decided to test this with, tell us uh, what you're, what you like to eat a form of some kind, and then give them a, a PowerPoint, basically a Google slide and a checklist for shopping. That was your MVP, your minimum viable product. And how do people respond to those two things? I mean, what we got was that there was a willingness to pay, or at least the cr we were crazy enough to perceive that there was a signal that there was a willingness to pay. Um, and so leaned into that quite a bit more, built out the team. So we actually, we, we did this, and I know that this breaks a cardinal rule of Founder U. And if we were to do it again, we would follow the steps of Founder U. We did it without a technical co-founder uh. at the time. Well, so you when you did it, you did a low code, no code version of it, which is just, hey, here's a Google form. But you know what? That doesn't break the rule of founder university. That's actually a good way to just learn in the Eric Reese lean startup concept or before that Steve Blank with his startup engine concept of um, what's the minimum viable product? And what question do we need to answer? And the question you wanted to answer was would people pay for a meal plan and recipes? And you got the answer to that, right? Right. And, and actually, that's a fantastic way of putting it because we were essentially doing a meal plan at that point. Mm. And through these MVPs, what we learned is the we refined that white space to learning, mm. to actually being on a path to learning more about food itself, um, mm. which we didn't know going in. And so that was also a critical learning right before we jumped off and actually decided to develop a solution. Uh, and so then somehow you go from, you know, this MVP 
concept. Hey, here's a meal plan. Here's your list of what to buy. You get dozens of people to try doing that or a half right. dozen people. How many people did this MVP? That was, I, I, I think that it's somewhere in between what you just outlined. So put it in the teens to twenties and yeah. we had, how did you acquire with, those customers? You just emailed your friends, emailed the friends and asked them to email their friends. <laughs> that was, Got we it. took the one extra step where, and some people yeah. took pity on you and decided to give you 10 bucks or 20 bucks to do this. Right. Which is also the number one thing is that was the, that was the number one waste of time when we were starting off is the people that take pity on you do not give you usable product insights because <laughs> they're not actually buying the product. This isn't how it would behave in the wild. And so we actually threw ourselves on a wild goose chase, kind of following those pity buys for a while uh, before we realized that we had to refine it. A little Got bit. it. This is why maybe buying some advertising on Facebook, sending those people to a landing page, people you don't know they are going to be savages. They're going to give you super critical product feedback. They're going to say like, why would I pay you $10 for something I can get free on YouTube? But Gordon Ramsay has an omelet video or whatever it is, right? They're, they're going to give you hardcore, brutal, candid feedback. Whereas your friends are going to be like, oh my God, this is amazing. It changed my life. Here's 20 bucks. And you're not getting any signal as to should this product exist in the world. All right, listen, selling software is hard. It's hard right now, right? 2022, 2023, it's been a grind. 2024, it's going to be hard too. Everybody's making very thoughtful decisions. And the last thing you need is to slow your sales team down because you don't have your SOC 2 dialed in. So if you're a SaaS or services company that stores customer data in the cloud, you need to check out Vanta. Vanta will get your startup SOC 2 compliant easier and faster. Vanta makes it really easy to get and renew your SOC 2. On average, Vanta customers are SOC 2 compliant in just two to four weeks. Compare that to three to five months without Vanta. Vanta can save you hundreds of hours of work and up to 85% on compliance costs. And Vanta does more than just SOC 2. They also automate up to 90% compliance for GDPR, HIPAA, and more. You can't afford to lose out on major customers because of silly stuff like lacking compliance. Just work with Vanta. Get your compliance automated and tight. Tight is right. And close those big deals, the lighthouse deals that send all the other customers to you. Here's the call to action. It's very simple. Vanta is going to give you a thousand dollars off at vanta.com slash twist that's vanta.com slash twist to collect a thousand dollars off your sock too so how do you go to the next level and get actual product feedback from actual customers who you don't know and, and how did you come upon the concept for the app in this journey of triangulating i like where we're going with this you're triangulating and trying to build a product w what's the next product on this journey yeah it's kind of so i i think I like to take inventory every so often on the key skills that I think that I've learned along the journey. And one of the kind of five that I currently have has been this idea of uncovering demand. So if you remove your product, the supply from the market itself, people will behave, they have a latent need for something. Or otherwise, you'll build something and no one will buy it. Mm -hmm. And so what we did is we essentially started to look into, yeah, yes, 10 people, if they want to learn how to cook, eight or nine of them are going to say yes. But who actually learns how to cook? Mm. Like, and when really was the key question. Like, when does somebody decide that they want to learn how to cook? And we were doing this all the while. Uh, we had brought on a technical co-founder, Amrit, and we were building a version of the app itself. Um, Got it. So you decided, we hey, we should figure out when somebody needs to learn to cook. Because right. when you ask people if they want to cook, it's like, hey, do you want to learn how to play guitar? Do you want to learn... Right. how to be a black belt in taekwondo it's like well yeah i would love to be a black belt in taekwondo play guitar 
and be able to cook a great meal, but you actually have to take that step. And you got a co-founder along the way. So how did you and your other co-founder uh, find your technical co-founder? So we're a founding team of four. So we have three that were doing this. It almost essentially started as a club. I like, like we were meeting once a week on Sunday at the beginning, running these things and then d- divvy up the work, come back on next Sunday. What did you get done? And you were working your full-time jobs at the time. So this was a side hustle. Right. Exactly. Right. And it was like, I think that maybe to, as it was heating up, then we started doing Sunday, Thursday. It's like when fun in the week, can we, you right, kind of made exactly. it like a fun little club for yourselves. I've never heard of a founder doing this. What a clever was, idea. Yeah, it was, it, so it was a blast, but ultimately you do reach a point. In my case, we were, I felt like we were doing a suboptimal job on the startup. We had proved out concept, but then at that point we we're working too slowly. And I'm also doing a suboptimal job at my full-time job because I'm starting to focus way more of my energy on this thing. And so I gave, what, what we did as a team, we gave ourselves three months to find how much funding we needed for, to survive for 12 months and a path forward at development. We were able to put together the first, build a financial model, essentially projected out what we would need for 12 months to run just really bare bones, um, did that, and turned up Scoured Earth for a technical co-founder. I talked, I, I think that who we ended up hiring honestly illustrates this the best. Dom Rutsani is our CTO. He is fantastic. I can speak about him for a very, very long time. But who Amrit was to me, was he was my co-founder's landlord's roommate's boyfriend. Co-founders, landlords, roommates, boyfriend. So only like three hops away. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. That's how deep in the Rolodex you have to go. And so like just imagining the conversations where I'm humiliating myself with like my family friends. Yeah. As, like Do you know a programmer? Does anybody know a what, developer? <laughs> Right. And what we did is ultimately we had a list of call it six qualified and interested candidates from that process. And Amr blew him out of the water. Like he was the person. And he wanted to be at a startup, but he had a full time job at that time, or he wanted to be an entrepreneur. So when you said, Hey, we want you to come on this adventure. That was exciting to him. Yeah. Entirely right. So Amr's background, he led a product team to exit in the past. Hmm. Um, and was on the beach essentially for the four or five years prior. Now, now the company he built, it was a CRM in the funeral home industry. Mm-hmm. And so I think that Zest yeah, how is uplifting. kind of, Yeah, Zest is a nice little counterbalance to that. So we have yeah. life and death there. <laughs> so, but this is a super important thing for people. Um, it's getting easier to lo- learn to code. It's getting with co-pilots and, you know, AI eventually is going to help people make better startups. And then you have the no code movement, which is absolutely fantastic. There are extraordinary no code tools and the no code tools combined with MVPs made in forms and type form and Zapier and all this kind of stuff. Those are all now colliding with copilots and um, GPTs helping people write code. But you still want to have a technical co founder because now you've got an owner in the business who will drive it and has equity incentives. And I think the mistake people make is they think all developers are just either servants who, you know, just, you just pay them and it doesn't matter if they're owners. That's not true. Like a great restaurant, if the chef is an owner, they're going to take a different level of pride, a different level of ownership, as opposed to being a serf and a hired gun. You want the, the, the chef who has a mission and who really wants this beautiful food to exist in this world on this experience you want the developer who wants that beautiful 
product who exists in the world and people underestimate developers, I think, um, wanting to be entrepreneurial and wanting to be their own bosses and wanting to make decisions because when they're just just quote unquote developers or just writing code, they kind of just get told what to do and, and they get looked at like the person who f is like a plumber. Like, I, you know, I'm just paying you to fix the pipes here. Um, so did you have that experience, I think? Yeah. And it, well, number one is I appreciate the the analogy in food that, that doesn't go unnoticed. And I, I think that you you honestly speak to this brilliantly. I, when you talk about the team of five that got done today, what a team of 15 or 20 over a decade ago would have, would have had to get done. I, I always feel like it's speaking directly to me. And that only functions if you have an owner who's technical. Um, that can only get done. Amrit leverages these AI tools heavily. We all do as our, uh, however we can within the functions of our team, but it just helps us move better, faster. So now you've got the four four co-founders. You, you're doing your uh, side hustle club, I'll call it, the side hustle club, Thursday and Sundays. What, what an awesome concept you came up with there. It's exciting. It's fun. But of course, it's going to get frustrating. Why are we doing this every day? We're starting to get traction. So you you, you all decide to go all in. But you have to, so to speak, but you have to get some cash because uh, people might have things like rent or right. they need food right. or they might have student debt. <laughs> so how do you make that jump from side hustle? Hey, we're all getting great salaries to, uh oh, we're giving up salaries. We need, you know, whatever it is, 5K a month draw, 10K a month draw, you know, different people are at different stations in life. So, so how do you make that jump as a team? Yeah. So for us, again, I, that was problem number two to overcome, let's call it opportunity, opportunity mm -hmm. two to solve. And it, what we looked at was essentially taking those elements that you just mentioned into consideration, plus give us a little bit of leeway to actually be able to invest into the business, not just like into ourselves to sustain the business. Mm -hmm. um, how much do we need to get by? And that number was around $100,000. And we raised that. 100000 total, just $100,000 to get you through a couple of months or so. Correct. You know, it's funny, actually, I was just catching up with a friend about this, because where we are at as a business, everything is always as it always feels like it is existential. It always feels like, you know, you never know what's going to happen next. I, I truly feel like the number one thing that prevents people from founding a company is not risk aversion, but rather ambiguity aversion. And that uh, lack of a knowledge about their un uncertainty, or what's going to be an outcome. It's highly uncertain. You don't have a revenue stream yet. You, you, you know, if you're working at Netflix, you got a quarter million subscribers. It's not going down to a million subscribers the next day. It's even if it has the worst year ever, it's going to go down 10%. Right. So we were catch catching up. And what I what really true was true was that was as existential as it ever possibly could be it was essentially like, we put it on the line. I don't really know we couldn't really cut back or be more lean we you know you always can but that was when it was as we, our backs were as up against the walls as they possibly could be um, so you was, accept that reality as a founder you have to accept it it's not even it, it, to me it's you can't live in the past or future it's you mm. control input that's it that really i i think that people become beholden to hitting metrics but the reality is that it's a time machine you're looking at you're looking at a time machine you don't have the luxury to right now and mm -hmm. so what we do is just what can we get done for us we fix on time in a certain period of time mm -hmm. and then get that done do your job and 
ideally the right thing happens, but you can't control for whether or not it does to your point. So it's so you do your sprints in two week sprints, 10 day sprints, five day sprints. What do you, what do you do? Yeah. yeah so we, we actually, um, this is comes from uh, the 37 signals camp. I, that DHH pod was awesome. Yeah. I, that those like DHH is classic. Yeah. The, he and Jason free just like hold real estate. I, I like fanboy about them. Uh, having never Great entrepreneurs. And they, right. they've done it by bootstrapping in a very authentic way. Right. So right. there's a lot of lessons there for right. founders. Yeah. And what they have done in terms of building is rather than fixing on a product launch, uh, you, you really have two controls. You can build a product to launch or you can fix on time, which is another limited resource. So what we do is we do six weeks and that's long enough that you can build something substantial, short enough that you can see the end of it. And over the course of those six weeks, you have to make trade-offs to be able to ship what we commit to at the beginning of it. And that's kind of how we run. And so it's it's a bit of a longer sprint cycle, but you we feel like we move faster that way. A lot of founders are great at going from zero to one. This takes vision, creativity, hustle, all that great stuff. But those same people often struggle with going from one to a hundred. If you want to scale and you want to do it efficiently, you're going to need process and you need structure. And that starts with your product. So if your startup needs a more structured engineering approach, you need to check out MEV. MEV helps businesses build and maintain their products faster and more effectively. They'll make your product more stable, scalable, and secure. They'll build custom infrastructure that scales, and they can help build additional features for your product and more. For each of your needs, MEV organizes an entire tech team comprised of senior engineers, delivery managers, DevOps, Q&A, and designers. And they've been in business for 17 years. And they've helped the following companies build complex tech products, Cartier, Tuit, and Ozempic maker, Nova Nordisk, my favorite. So let MEV help you increase product velocity and make product engineering more sustainable. MEV is going to give you $30,000 off your first three months. That's right. Get $10,000 off per month right now at MEV.com slash twist. That's MEV.com slash twist for $30,000 off your first three months. Well, it's be a good time for us to show the product that you got going and then talk yeah. a little bit about maybe coming to the accelerator and then fundraising and how that's all gone for you. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, and this is your presentation from the accelerator. We we focus on in the accelerator really on mastering your presentation to investors. Uh, and I, hopefully we did a good job of that with you and you met a lot of investors. That, that That's I would hope so. Is that or something else? But I don't yeah. really I can't <laughs> hard to pin down the other thing. Fairy dust, yeah. maybe. Um, but I think, um, so this is just the product demo. Mm. If you'd prefer great. to me. No, no, product me demo's great. Them. Let's just show right. people. And you can talk a little bit about how you present it to investors along the way. Sure. Awesome. So of course, at this point, you know, but we were building Duolingo for cooking with Zest. And the way that that actually functionally works is people come into the app itself. They take a skill assessment, which places them in a level based on their current level of knowledge. Mm. Um, so in this case, this user gets placed in level two. It's all about getting the basics in level two. So say they want to cook a soup. They might cook our Thai curry soup. And within that, they'll learn things like the way that you cut your ingredients actually impacts the way that they cook. That though it may seem counterintuitive, intimidating, cleaning as you go is a really important part of the cooking process. And we teach that through digestible slides, through tap quizzes. And then you have green in recipe chef tips, which come up, they reinforce those lessons that you just learned and allow you to internalize them for later use. Mm. So now flash forward to today for this user, they might be on level six, they might be learning things like the complexities of flavor. And within mm. that, if they want to cook a soup, they might cook our beef ramen. 
And in the beef ramen, they'll learn about the science behind flavor extraction and fusion, the idea behind concentrating flavors, the reduction, the idea behind braising a meat in a flavorful liquid. Now, that's like the basic skeleton of how people use this. Using it, their lives around food are totally changing. They cook four times a week, save over $500 a month, and get to take care of the people that they care about Mm. while doing something that's fairly productive for them. Um, So that's the short. And it's got gamification built into it. You go up levels. And totally you, right. you've atomized it. So you're, you are taking a little bit from the TikToks, which is bite-sized content, little tips like, hey, here's cleaning as you go. Something I always talk about when, when I'm teaching my daughters about cooking. Hey, look, at we put the pasta in the water. We've now got, it's capellini. We got three, four minutes here to make it al dente. We could wipe the counter down. We could throw away the box of pasta. We could set up the colander to, to you, there's things you can do with that downtime. And, and as people level up, that's got to be addicting, right? It, it, it keeps people engaged. And you mentioned there part of the value proposition and the metric you're tracking there is the money saved. And so that's super interesting. For one person, it might be super motivating to hit level six, right? For another person, saving $500 ordering DoorDash or Uber Eats or Postmates, that could be very exciting because they could redeploy that $6,000 a year to something else. And then finally, um, you you had the non financial reward, but the incredible feeling of taking care of and building nourishing food for people. What I really love about that slide is you understand that there's a multitude of reasons of why somebody might engage with zest. A- and you learned that when did you learn that? Intuitively, how did you learn that that's what people are re- responding to in your product? A- and then did one of those become a North Star? Or how do you think about incorporating that into the product? Those yeah, so, so it's a great question. It all trickles down from the that when moment that we were talking about earlier. Mm. So when we were going to market with that first version of Zest, as Amrit was building it, we were conducting a series of interviews. And what we were looking at was people who throughout the pandemic learned how to cook and did it successfully. Didn't know how did you in. find those users to interview? A fantastic website. It's called respondent.io. So respondent.io. You can wow. people. It's a two-sided marketplace. Researchers come on um, and offer certain queries, and then people can sign up for user interviews as long as they meet the criteria. Amazing! So, uh, congratulations to Respondent.io. Great day for, for uh, getting a free plug on the show. You earned it, so it's earned media, right? Uh, <laughs> how did you find Respondent.io? So, I always like to ask founders because th- you find the right tool. Man, it could unlock anything, right? You start using Coda, Notion, you know, some of these tools are just so powerful. You know, they, they, they put you on second or third base. And if you don't know about them, oh my God, you know, you're, you're stuck in the, the dugout. So how did you find out about this tool? Right. So that is um, through two people. We were talking about DHH and Jason Freed earlier. And, and the reason that I know them is through two people in particular. So Neil Sells Griffin, who was actually on Twist a while back. Back when you, know, you guys were starting off, was my entrepreneurship professor in college, and he was the one that turned me on to all of this. Um, essentially, kind of unlocked my mind to what I could be doing, rather than kind of what the current of undergrad can lead you into. Um, and then Bob Mesta, um, who has been a fantastic mentor of ours as well. So Bob created the Jobs to Be Done framework for product development alongside Clayton Christensen. Um, and he also, he works, he's the CEO of a company called Rewired Group, their consultancy that works with major companies. Um, and Bob uses them respondent for his interviews, sent 
them our way and we never looked back. This was like a number one because sourcing those interviews is really hard and this just That's happened. why I asked. And so you were lucky enough to have great mentors. Those great mentors had frameworks or thoughts. So here's the rewired group uh, and Bob's group there to talk about the JTBD jobs to be done framework that helps you understand why and how people buy products really cool. Um, and so you were able to understand product development in a way that you know, you didn't have to reinvent the wheel here. So you get these folks on a call. And then uh, what do you ask them? And, and how do you you learn all this information that becomes the product uh, um, value proposition, essentially? So this is the fun part with res responding is made for these scripted. This is kind of a hack that you, you have to pull on it. Um, we don't have a script. We go in and we talk to them about their journey, essentially do our best Cal Canis impress and, and <laughs> like go after just leading them to best understand. Cause this is honestly why I like entrepreneurship in general, uh, making the abstract concrete is one way to say it. The other, mm -hmm. the seemingly irrational, there's always a rational reason if you talk to the person. And mm. so understanding that journey and the best way to do that is without a script. You just go in, you, you put it around a moment. When I talk about the when, for us, it was learning how to cook, knowing that there was that successful outcome. So this is one of the use cases where it works. And then ah. as long so as you, you ask them, that, what, what did you ask them? Like as your first question or two, um, get, getting started, you start broad and then really want to trigger the memory. When did you start learning how to cook? Um, mm. <laughs> one comes back that, um, it, well, it was during the pandemic. I, what's the first thing that you made? Mm. Uh, bagels. Why did you start making mm. ba yeah. bagels? Right. And it's like, yeah, right. Exactly. So you do this naturally. Yeah. Um, but what I found, I, you know, I didn't know anything. Coming out, I'm, I'm like, young, see the I'm way you, you only have to say one word bagels. And if you, if it has a question mark at the end, the way I said it, now if you say bagels, well, that actually had a little question mark, but bagels say more or tell me more why bagels right or why why bagels really and they're like oh no no bagels are incredible you know like it's not actually not that hard and i missed my brooklyn bagels or something right that's so fascinating you're saying somebody was making bagels from scratch right just and you're that's the first me. thing that, and that's the first thing that they made and now they're a proficient cook who cooks habitual wow but and i so mean to like, start at bagels is so right but that was one of the, so that's one of the four things that we came to realize are like a trigger and that is uh providing for going from a heavily socialized environment to a less socialized, moving from being around a lot of people to being around very few and wanting to then provide for people. Got it. And so you see that- So yeah. you found out through the bagel interview and other interviews that there was a social component to this yep. and people wanted to cook for other people. You were thinking, hey, somebody wants to cook for themselves because they burnt their pizza. Exactly. That was your right. experience. But for this person's experience was I want to make bagels and invite people over for Sunday brunch and show off maybe or give them this great bagel experience that I made homemade bagels, which by the way, when I smoke meats in my smoker, my great joy in life, you can only well, if I'm smoking a 15 pound brisket, it gets down to nine, 10 pounds. I, I'm only eating a pound of that or two max you know, over the next week. The other eight I'm slicing up and giving to friends and it's my great joy. Hey, here's my brisket. They Oh, when can I get another brisket? Right. In, in the other kind of, so you start to see contrast in the stories as well as similarities. And there, the other version of this, that's like the funhouse mirror version is you have people providing for their significant others. That's the one that we call out in that product mm. demo. And what it is, is like, I'm living on my own 
and I eat four day old chicken and rice and it works for me, but I serve that to the person I care about. All of a sudden it's like FBI's most wanted. Like, like you're that partner. You're you, that's how you provide for the person that you care about the most uh, on a consistent basis. And you see like they, they draw on these similar emotional uh, or emotional elements, but the social element of it is slightly different. Mm. And so kind of playing with those, uh, those components there. Oh, and Neil Sales Griffin, he was from Code Academy. That's right. Oh, wow. That was a long time ago. That's episode 230. For those of you counting at home, man, that episode is, fr- is 11 years ago. Yeah. My Lord, I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> you know, he, he, he remembers you driving around him around in the, in the Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> that is so crazy um, yeah. to think about how long ago this was. This is the old set. What a walk down memory lane for those of you who are watching. Uh, this is the old set in Santa Monica. And here's uh, Neil. And uh, this is 11 years ago. We got 6,000 views on this video back in the day. And what an archive uh, this week in startups has turned out to be. Uh, crazy. Listen, not every business is venture scale. If you're not, you won't be able to raise money from VCs. We all know that. And not everybody has a rich family member to do their friends and family round. So if you want to jumpstart your business with $50,000, let me tell you about Paintbrush Loans. Paintbrush has created a new kind of loan product. They connect idea stage startups with bank capital, so you don't need to give up any equity and there's no pitch deck or revenue required. And the Paintbrush Loan is available at the idea stage. In fact, you can apply the moment you incorporate your company. Monthly repayment is a flat, predictable amount, which makes cash flow planning really simple. So here's your call to action. If you're a founder in the U.S., Go to getpaintbrush.com to see if you qualify for a $50,000 startup loan in less than two minutes. That's getpaintbrush.com to see if you qualify in less than two minutes. So you um, get all this product information and then you start realizing, hey, there are, there are reasons why people are to cook. There's a social aspect, taking care of people, being the host, saving money uh, and uh, being healthier. Right. And the gamification obviously is kind of built in. Is, is there one that is working more than others right now? And have you found any other value props that you didn't expect? Yeah, um, I think that the one that, honestly, what we did is we have a, a playbook, but w- we went live with this version of the app and we just started speaking to kind of these moments that we saw and most of them resonated very well. So we build with these four in mind. We We haven't necessarily needed to deprioritize any of the moments uh any of the moments to date got it uh so now you get the product you launch it what do you learn at launch and then how do you start thinking about having a launch product in the market and then maybe when you came to our accelerator and maybe talk about that experience either of those you can go whichever direction you like i'm not sure what happened next in this story here for yeah um there's a weird thing, particularly, I, I think, listen, everybody's experiences and I have one, so I'm going to speak from my own bias, and, but you never, uh, we never felt like we were launching mm. per se. It, it was just kind of the first of a bunch of rapid iterations that we're still kind of in the middle of spiraling towards. And so it's, I, I think that it's just kind of a prototyping and nothing's finished mentality that has been constant i like to say this is true of the processes through which we run the business and then the uh how the business is performing itself this is the worst or the best worst possible version of this product that we have (laughs) um and it's just kind of getting better from that perspective um on the launch side of things well you you tweeted in april um 
I am investing in, I, I believe it was five companies over the next 30 days apply here. Yep. Um, oh, great. Those tweets were. That's how yeah, I acquire yeah. customers. That, right. I'm investing in companies. Would you like money? <laughs> was, and you were like, huh, he's an investor. I've watched his podcast and he has money. Well, this is like, I mean, you talk about the focus thing, it, it, but then, you know, launch stands out right away because of, I, we were talking, catching up, I was catching up with Nick and John earlier, and it's yeah. just the operation is so, t- it's just, you get on, first huh. of all, you get on with, on. Uh, th- this is my experience, I hop on with Andre, huh. he is extremely, now like, associate Andre, started as a researcher, skipped the analyst phase, went right to associate, one of the fastest uh, he he ascensions it. in our organization yeah um, he, he earned it i because he just is he has this unbelievably pleasant demeanor mm. balanced with no nonsense into yeah. cutting to exactly what he wants to know with our product within mm. 48 hours i was on with jackie and then wow. we had our decision like pretty quickly after that so we started to mm. um m- move move and, and so to translate what you just said you yeah, see sorry, a tweet from me no, I just want to recap it because it, for me, this is now product discovery. I'm now on a client call. So I'm <laughs> fascinated by how our 21 person organization that invests a million dollars a month in startups or so and invest in 100 new companies a year and maybe 50 existing portfolio companies we do a reop with every year, something in that range. Um, you see a tweet from me, then you apply, then you get on the phone with an associate Andre, he is incredibly deft and uh no bs in get in understanding your product and you felt heard by him right and and let's also and he was positive you said it, it was positive he he's a positive person but launch has a very specific way you'll you, people see as they go through the program that you are to present information mm-hmm. someone who had never been through launch might not present information that way right and andre was able to essentially steer me into that very Got easily, it. such that even by the time I was on with Jackie, I was like, oh, they probably want more of this and less of that. And, and right. I was able to kind of uh, almost, you know. And what did you so- perceive? More of what and less of what? I'm curious. C- um, concision. More concision. Uh, like, <laughs> just as, as, as punchy as I possibly could make it uh-huh. and focus. So the more on yeah, the So being concise demo. and right. you know, really getting to the heart of the matter, not superfluous information. That's interesting. Um, that you got that vibe from our first call. We, do, for people who don't know, we do what's called an introductory call, and, and we do an incredibly large number of these a year, uh, thousands of these introductory calls a year, and we try to get to the heart of the matter of the startup, and we really try to understand the vision of the founders because one of the pieces of feedback I got early in my career was Jason didn't understand our vision when we started asking people to review us as investors. He didn't get it, you know. And, and I think this is when you don't invest in a company. And we don't invest in 199 out of 200 companies that apply for funding. So the 199 are not going to feel so good about us because we passed, but we want them to feel at least that we understood their vision. And man, we had this negative piece of feedback that kept coming back about me. She didn't understand our vision. And I realized I came across as a bit arrogant, um, which is not how I want to come across. So I started saying to people, founders, when I talk to them and I train my team to do this, may I repeat back to you? your vision for your company. And if you just do that, you ask permission to repeat back the vision. And we say, okay, so you're doing this, it's subscription model, right? Okay, and it's Duolingo, okay, and it's called Zest, and it's gamified, and it's $10 a month, and it's $60 a year, and you got four co-founders, one technical co-founder, did I get everything right? Just by doing that, 
the person feels heard. And the objection, we didn't get it, went away overnight with just that one tweak. And it's a 30 second moment in the call. And you know what? It was good for me and everybody else on the team to have a device. May I repeat back to you your vision for Zest? It, it gave us, it added a little humility, but it also confirmed for us that we did actually know it and that we didn't make a mistake. It's so interesting from a meta, meta standpoint looking at that because it provides the, it provides you also with two pieces of it. What the founder is able to draw contrast there. So no, because. Or yeah, yeah, you nailed it. Or or no, you didn't get it, and here's why. And from I assume the launch standpoint, then you can gauge focus, because if I can answer and if I can tell you in a short way where you were off, or why you're so spot on, then all of a sudden you're actually I would say the bets might even get better. And so, well, we want to make really thoughtful bets. Our job is to bet on founders, and we we bet on teams that make products that delight customers. When we were evalu evaluating you and your team. We were like four person team. We got one technical person. You're a management consultant. I, I don't remember exactly what your other two founders did, but it was like a really good team of builders. I remember when they brought you to me, I was like, snap, yes. And then we said product wise, the product looks pretty good. Like even in the early stages, it was a well-designed product and I'm a design guy. So I was like, this, this is designed pretty well. And then we thought, well, the customers really like it. You had some early customer traction, I remember. And so product, a team builds a product, delights customers, you had all three, and you had four co founders, and you were builders, and you had a little bit of product velocity, something else we look for. So then you're 48 hours later on the phone with Jackie, who's a managing director, you basically skip a level, go right to the top, she's in, able to make a decision, Andre's able to make a decision too, just needs to get approval on it. Um, so he can make a decision, hey, I want to invest in this, we just want to make sure but Jackie could just go for it uh, with a 100k check. And so then next thing you know, you're in the program. And we got that done in under a week. So we applied right after you filled the seventh for the April cohort, twenty eight. And so we we basically we we matriculated in, but for the net for the summer. Perfect, perfect. That's great to know. What a that's great. And then so in the process of going through the accelerator, I think it's fourteen, sixteen weeks or so. I don't know if you did sixteen weeks or fourteen weeks this time around. Uh, fourteen weeks. Fourteen weeks. You do fourteen weeks. We introduce you to a ton of investors, hopefully. And uh, yeah, you did well with investors. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it is <laughs> high octane. The, the, the mm. way that launch goes about doing it, you're on weekly. You, I mean, you put everybody on the spot on those calls. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. About yeah, say everything. It. Sure. Okay, right, right. Right. So like our cohort is presenting to a room full of investors who then give us live candid feedback. Um, one of the really difficult things when it comes to fundraising a, a venture around. So I sold my first business but it was not venture-backed. And the first time that you go out to raise money, it's very difficult to gauge the feedback. Mm. And Launch One provided systems for that, but then two, you're getting so much feedback so quickly that you can just so quickly throw out elements that aren't working, sub yes. in elements that are, and charge forward. Um, and, and then the other side is obviously just deal flow, right? Yeah. Like just getting as many people across the desk as possible. Um, we talked about How many investors did you need to meet with in order to raise money uh, for your company? Uh, we met with over 130 people. <laughs> wow. So I'm going to... Yeah, Pretty great. Uh, we are, yeah, we are, uh, I, I think, up there in terms of... Listen, when I say mm. consumer subscription app that teaches people how to cook, I can say this now because we just closed the round and like, now we get to speak on our own traction for the next 12 months. Yeah. But let's just say that a lot of people run for the hills or ran for the hills. 
And so sure. it's on us most to people it. are not consumer consumer subscription. Some people don't like some people do we happen to like it. We've seen it. We've had great success with it multiple times. Um, but some people are like the churns too high. We actually had a conversation about this on all in recently. And I was trying to explain to the <laughs> my besties like, hey, you know, <laughs> Netflix, a hell of a business, Disney plus a hell of a business, Spotify, heck of a business when you get that large amount of subscription. Yeah, I know there's churn issues with consumers. But Overall, these are very meaningful businesses, I believe, and I believe there's going to be hundreds of businesses that have millions of subscribers. And, um, you know, like, I think New York Times is proving this to people um, by putting a bundle of things together. And, and you know, it's a jury still out. But I, I think this is a wonderful business you have. I think there's a million people who will pay you $60 a year for this and you will get to, you know, 60 million in revenue. I, I think I believe that yeah. you and I both and I, I that's the beginning. But I, I look at, I, I don't know if you remember the first time that we met in San Francisco and you and I had the chance to walk, uh, you were hearing Founder U pitches. Yeah. And so we, we walked from the launch site to the Founder U site and really you broke it down. It's CAC, it's LTV, and it's the payback period. How long does it take for you to get that money back? Yeah. And for, for me then, a lot of this is an articulation gap, I think, in fundraising. And so I was mm. sitting down and I was speaking French in a room full of people that only speak English. Yeah, And once you're able to kind of articulate both the vision side that you're speaking to, I mean, you come from this operator background, though, um, but also then you're able to articulate kind of the right brain and, and you have mm. that left brain going. So you have to educate to investors on why their objections maybe weren't valid here or just how the architecture of your business works. I, and I would say even more, I, I had to de-risk the areas that they were go their minds were going to jump to. And my mind doesn't uh. think like that. Because if I if I spent all of my time thinking about not what drive, I, I I live I live in the in in the trees, right? I right. start speaking to the forest quite a bit more, and yeah. I understand what the name of the forest was um, a bit yeah. more. There, well, yeah, I mean there are and, and different there there are all kinds of different investors. Some investors make the decision on the product. They use the product. They're like, this product is awesome. I'm going to bet on it. Does anybody know who made this product? Right, this and literally they'll point. work backwards from the product. Whoever made this, I'm giving them money because I love it so much. Other people are just like, I love this team. And it's like, well, this product is a little janky and it's like not very polished. And they're just like, whatever. I, I really connect with these founders. Other people are like, I heard this customer and this market size and there's a demand. I'm going to work backwards to find the products that are servicing that market. And then, which like Bill Gurley was looking for somebody in a marketplace that was doing transportation, work backwards, found a bunch of different players and made his bet on Uber. So, you know, there are different there are different investors and you have to qualify this them, right? This is such a good anybody that is first a first time fundraiser needs there is no golden goose. There is no perfect formula for going about this. Everyone's an N of one, at least in my experience, and I'm then yeah. gonna speak for my own bias, but every experience is different. Hmm. And so there are our best practices. Launches scorecard system for sourcing investors, a really good way to get on the phone with 130 different people. Yeah. But it's the the way to go about doing this there is no right way and it's going to unfold the way that it's meant to unfold it's mm. going to be it, it's going to be a winding road then once you're on the tracks if venture backed is the way that the business should be going if that's right for your business then various four factors start to take over a little bit more mm. what do you have to prove now you you've you know you have a year runway or more um you've got you know i think tens of thousands of dollars a month in revenue it's clear people want the product you've got some audience over the next year, what are you going to try to accomplish with the money you've been given and the, and the time you've been given? Uh, yeah, really three things. So we're looking at uh, making the game more cohesive. You spoke to the gamification elements. What's a unifying theory that links this all together and puts us on a track to building something 
more in depth and greater. Um, the second is building a really solid operating system around food. We want to be the end to end resource that people turn to when it comes to how they manage their food in their kitchen, retaining people through like a classic B2B SaaS strategy. It makes less sense for me to leave than it makes for me to just stay on. And then thirdly, starting to invest in these channels of acquisition. Right now we acquire through an organic, two organic channels and one paid channel that we've tested a little bit. How can we de-risk that such that if it comes time, if fundraising is the right route for us moving forward as well, which probably will be, then are, are, have we de-risked the business to the point where people want to either up their bet or bring on some new people who we've been talking to or met along the way? I like it. I like it. And so you mentioned earlier TikTok. Um, you're matching organic growth channels, which are really good because if you can figure out an organic one, right. you know the cost is your time, but you're not handing a bunch of money over to Facebook or Instagram right. or Google. Which, let's face it, there are higher priced products. Like I think Duolingo. I don't know how much they charge, but they might charge more. There, there have been people who are charging a lot of money for their products, which means they have a higher CAC with cooking. Maybe you have a harder time. Um, and you don't have tons of money around to burn is TikTok because TikTok has so many influencers, so many views, and the the content is compelling visually, but doesn't actually deliver on, uh, you know, the value prop that you deliver on. Is there not an arbitrage there to try to maybe hire a couple of these influencers to work for you or, you know, uh, you know, send people to the app? Hey, if you want to learn more and have you tried those kind of yeah. ideas of TikTok or YouTube shorts as a funnel? Um, yeah, I mean, th th so this is an amazing point. Uh, the Zest channel, and I might, you know, I might get sent to jail by my co-founder, Graham, who's been <laughs> managing these for saying this, but um, essentially those those people that you're speaking to, these food influencers, they serve to build a tremendous amount of intent in our future mm. users. Um, and so people are watching this unbelievable cooking content all the time. Our channel does not really speak to that's not mm. really what it's about. What it's about is calling out the fact that you're spending all this time watching these amazing things and you've lost agency over your own life. This is another reason that people join Zest, another critical moment for them, which is I work a job that is just not that great. I come home, I watch Love is Blind mm. on Netflix. I'm scrolling through TikTok, looking at brilliant food and I'm eating my Chipotle burrito. And it's like something's mm. weird here. Um, and so our, our channel right now as it's built is built to speak to that. If ah. we're gonna start partnering with creators, we're going to partner right now, you know, give me license to change this, should it change. But right now, the, the idea is partner less with food creators, more with people that speak to the moments in, li in life that would lead somebody to want to learn how to cook, to the oh, moments wow. that we've spoken about through the course of Right, you're lonely. You want to have more friends. I mean, if you, you want to have more laughs, right? right. Like, I, right. I love to cook. And I love to have people over and I love to go to dinner because I like to laugh. I like to have a conversation. I like to be amongst people. I'm a major extrovert. And uh, also it became a super weapon for me in terms of my business. The fact that I was, you know, able to have dinner with people and host people for dinner. Like it actually became a wonderful superpower and being able to cook for people. is just such a great joy. Um, if you're listening to this, go download Zest and pay for it. On the app. 60 bucks a year. What is it? 10 bucks a oh, month? Yeah, that's right. Okay, just go pay for it, buy it, give us some feedback. And uh, listen, continued success. Thanks for letting us invest in your company. It's great to be on the journey with you. And uh, anything we can do to help uh, at this point as we wrap up the episode?
Give us a download. Give us a nice review on the App Store. Write a little Ooh. nice review after you play around in the app itself. Every but yeah, if you got ten great reviews here uh, with really good uh, feedback, we did our we did our job. That would be huge. That would be yeah. huge. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. One hundred percent. Yeah. Jake, ne- to you next and the time team. We'll do this over food. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it over food. Um, thanks for coming to the program. Thanks for all the candid feedback, and we wish you great success. And uh, we'll see you all next time on this week in service. Bye bye. Hey, everybody, I talk to a lot of founders here on this week in startups and as an investor, and they tell me the same thing over and over again, they want two things from me more FaceTime and money. <laughs> they want me to invest in their companies, and they want to spend time together. So we've been working here on a new meetup program, we call it founder Fridays and founder Fridays are an event by founders for founders. This is an event that is hosted in cities by people like you if you're listening to this week in startups, you're a founder. So what are you going to do at founder Fridays, you're going to get together with other founders in your community, it could be four or five of you, it could be maybe up to 30 of you in a location, pick a cafe, pick a co working space, I like to go to a great Mexican joint or maybe a dim sum restaurant, you know, where you can do shared food, have a couple of cocktails, maybe you do it on a Friday, you get together and you host it. Now, why is it important for founders to get together? Shouldn't you be at home just focusing? Shouldn't you be in the office just focusing on your startup? Well, if you get together with other founders, true founders who are in the arena building like you are, you're going to get a lot of value from that because you can trade notes with that other founder about what's working at your startup and what's not working. The truth is, if you're facing a problem, there are hundreds of founders out there who have probably solved it already. And instead of you banging your head against the wall, when you sit there and you talk to three or four founders, you're having some dim sum, you're, you're splitting a quesadilla, some prajitas, somebody say, Oh, you know what, I had that same human resources problem. Oh, I had that same technical problem. Oh, I had that same marketing problem. And they might tell you about a tool or a service that'll solve that problem for you. This happens over and over and over again, when I do founder Fridays with our portfolio companies. Now we're going to give you that same experience. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to host this in your city. So you're going to go to this week in startups.com slash meetups. That's it. And you'll see a landing page where you can sign up and you can say I want to host in my city. Now your city may already be hosting so you can just join that person. And what if you go to this event and you learn some go to market strategy that 10 x is your growth that might unlock funding or you might be talking to somebody and they say, Hey, I'm a marketplace too. I'm not a competitive marketplace, your marketplace is for used cars, my marketplace is for hairstylists, whatever your jam is, whatever you're working on, but they give you some technique that you didn't know about to increase your supply side or get more demand in your marketplace. And you 10 x your business. I see this happen all the time. And founders are like mutants, right? And I'm like Professor X here, I'm trying to put on Cerebro and find all the founder mutants in the world, and then have you get together and do your own little meetup. And here's what you're not going to have to deal with. You're not gonna have to deal with a bunch of service providers trying to sell you software or services. And you're not going to have to sit through a bunch of passive speakers, you can listen to this week in startups and get the greatest speakers in the world on your own time. And you're not going to have to pay for a ticket to a conference or get on a plane or fly somewhere. No, this is about having an intimate experience with five, 10, maybe two dozen other founders in your city, please go to thisweekinstartups.com slash meetups. If you are a founder, this is for founders by founders only. If you are not a founder, this event is not for you, you can start your own meetup for lawyers, accountants, recruiters, this is for founders by founders, we vet everybody to make sure you're a founder. And if you host it, it's a non commercial event. Our first founder Friday will start on February 2nd. 
So please mark your calendars and we're going to do these on a rolling basis. You can join an existing meetup if it's already occurring in your city or you and uh, one or two other founders can start your own. We're using a wonderful piece of software that we've invested in called River. You can sign up for a River account just by going to thisweekinstartups.com slash meetups. We've already got hosts and attendees lined up in San Francisco, New York City, Toronto, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, London, and even in India. So this is your chance to connect. And if you didn't hear your city named, you can start your city. Go to thisweekinstartups.com slash meetups.